As I just shared, we're going to be taking a look at uh, the traditional verses for a way in a manger. Uh, we opened up our service with a beautiful rendition of that classic hymn. Uh, hopefully it's on your playlist uh, for this Christmas season. If not, I think uh, after going through it today, it'll be one of our tops, uh, our favorites for this season. Before we jump into our message uh, and the scripture that inspired such beautiful verses in that classic hymn, let's open with prayer. Sanctify us by the truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Away in a manger, what, what thoughts come to your mind when you think about that song, when you hear it start to play? Are you like me? Do you, you think of it as a, a children's hymn? Actually, there's another name for it. It's called Luther's Cradle Hymn. It, it was suggested when this hymn was first discovered, at least in America in the 1800s from some German hymnal, uh, that Luther actually inspired, wrote down these words for his children and would sing it about this time of year. Um, it's kind of a legend. Uh, we're not really sure who wrote the hymn, but if you're like me, you think of little children. In fact, you might be thinking of some children's programs in the past, maybe when you were a kid, or maybe coming up soon, in fact, at 1030 uh, some of our preschoolers are going to be singing this song, so come back for that if you can. Uh, it should be great. And what makes me smile about when, when children, especially the youngest of children, ages three to four, when they sing that song or when they, they put on a Christmas play, I think everyone's on the edge of their seats, right? Because, well, one, they're so cute. And two, you have no clue what they're really going to do. So that's... <laughs> And if you've been to some of those pageants in the past, too, you've seen, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you go online, I'm sure you'll find some crazy renditions of Luke 2 uh, off the script. And uh, I just let's just think about that for a moment. Uh, imagine the scene. You got these wonderful kids, uh, and they're dressed up in blankets and towels and headbands with halos and crowns, playing the parts of the shepherds and the wise men, the angels. And there's the Holy Family, and again, they're doing their best to play out Luke 2. And you got Mary, and you got Joseph, three and four-year-olds, and then you got a baby in the major. Not, not a real baby, of course, because that would be insane, committing and, and giving into the care of three and four-year-olds, an infant. So it's a doll uh, wrapped up in cloths. And then the music cues, way in a manger, this is it. This is the highlight. And they start to assemble. But then at that time, maybe a four-year-old angel decides, you know, it would have been better if I would have been Mary, and goes over to the feeding trough and starts wrestling with Mary for that child in the manger. And Joseph steps back with a staff, trying to protect himself, looks with fearful eyes at the preschool director. I don't think this is Luke 2. I don't remember this part. The other shepherds kind of, instead of getting in place, they just kind of run off, as maybe shepherds do, one to their mom, Another one because they're just terrified about all the people. This isn't what they signed up for. Maybe another to the restroom. It's kind of chaos. Or maybe you get the angels. They once looked like angels, but now their robes are up so high they look more like ghosts. And how does that play into the story? <laughs> you have the wise men looking like kings. I think they're caught up in the moment. They've never looked so good before. They catch grandpa's eye. They pose for some pictures. <laughs> And the director's just trying to get them all together. It's like herding cats. And finally, though, they're assembled, and they offer up this sweet rendition of Away in a Manger. 
is such a classic, even as some of them sing maybe three times too loud and others are just completely off key, it's still, it's still so beautiful. I, that's pretty much what I think about when it comes to a way in a manger. And, and I do think about it pretty much being a children's a child's song. But boy, with this uh, series and with this, the first of the hymns that we kind of revisit, I'm impressed with the words. There's so much like the scripture, so welcoming, so inviting for those of us who need to have a childlike faith and simple truths that, that anyone can begin to know the grace of God. And yet like holy scriptures, this song the depth, of the simple truths, the profound nature of the love proclaimed, it, it really challenges us to see that God's love is far beyond our comprehension, our understanding. Even the, the wisest of minds can't really come to terms with what's proclaimed in this hymn. And so I am blessed to be able to share some of these thoughts and scripture that comes behind these verses. So let's get right to it. Let's look at uh, verse 1 of the traditional uh, rendition of Away in a Manger. And you're familiar with this. You know it by heart, but I'll read it to you. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep. On the hay. It's beautiful. And it's simple. And, and I, I think it, it's simple in this. Away, away, 2,000 years ago, historical truth, this happened. And away, it's on the other side of the world, but it truly took place. And I think we can leave it like that, and that's why maybe it's so inviting for children. They can so easily comprehend that and proclaim it. But I wonder if the hymn writer had something even deeper in mind, something that will really cause us to wrestle with God's love and grace. When you think about the word away, I wonder if we're picking up on the marvel. In fact, if you're taking notes, the marvel of Christ's descent from one realm to another that because of sin and death and corruption is completely different, the heavenly realm to the earthly world. I, I want you for a moment to think about that descent. When Christ, the Son of God, inextricably joins in human flesh and blood, never to be separated again, he becomes one of us. And in that moment, which must have seemed like an eternity in the heavenly realms above, where the angels and the saints who have gone on before us are there in the presence of God, I wonder what was it like when Jesus went away, away to a manger? What were the thoughts that the believers were having in heaven and, and the angels with them? I, I think about Adam and Eve. I think about Isaiah. They were all there. When the father said, son, the time has come, and the Christ descended, flesh and blood, now Jesus. I wonder if they didn't just all bow in heaven because of the great love of our Savior God, where he goes away. 
And, and I wonder, I know there aren't supposed to be tears in heaven. Jesus will wipe away every tear. But, but I wonder if Adam and Eve, kneeling down at the grace of God, didn't just shed one or two tears of joy and relief. Their Savior God goes to undo the curse that they brought on this world that you and I still suffer today. I wonder if Adam and Eve, now thousands of years removed, but in the presence of God with Isaiah, thought to themselves, he's doing it. That great promise that he made as soon as we all fell into sin, I will send one born of a woman. Isaiah would further clarify, born of a virgin. One from among them will crush the devil's head, that serpent. And undo the curse that we suffer. That was the moment. Away. The marvel of Christ's descent. I wonder if Moses and Elijah, they were there too. Representing the law and the prophets. All of God's will, his designs, his purpose. All of salvation history. I wonder if they stood in awe even as they were bowed low. And if they just could not get over the fact that their Savior God loved them so much that he would actually take on our flesh, our blood, and go fulfill all that they had written, which they never could. <laughs> they must have been in awe. And I wonder if the angels, too, bowed low, stole a glance from each other, and thought to themselves, my God is now one of them. Away, away in a manger. You ever think about how that, that, that beautiful song, that, that hymn verse proclaims such things? Maybe inspired by what Peter pinned down after Christ came and after his glorious triumph over the grave. First Peter chapter 1, 10 through 16. Peter sharing with the, the first eyewitnesses of God's beautiful love now fulfilled. He says, you know, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, oh, they searched intently before it happened. And with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the descent, even more so the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Even angels longed to look into these things. Angels marveled at the love of God for a fallen race. The stars looked down on the little Lord Jesus. I have to think that's what the hymn writer was also getting at. And I think that for us, take some time in this busy season as we look toward Christmas Take time to join with the saints and angels and God's people and, and really marvel. Who is a God like we have? <laughs> Who would descend to such depths, a different realm, and even more so to the depths of hell, being one with us, being one of us, so that he might again descend, but not alone, to bring us home, way in a manger. Oh, but it gets even better. Let's jump into verse 2. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love you, Lord Jesus. 
Look down from the sky and stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Kind of the traditional way that we remember it. We're going to think about this next part and think about what the hymn writer is seemingly getting at. If we take a look at this incarnation, uh, taking on flesh and blood of the Son of God, now Jesus, from a heavenly perspective, I wonder if the angels and their hearts welled up a little bit with righteous indignation. <laughs> the promise of the ages now fulfilling all the prophecies of the past, rescuing the human race. And when he arrives, what is there? Oh, some cattle that are lowing. And, and there's a manger, which, by the way, that's a feeding trough for animals. It's, it's no better than a dog dish. Welcome, Jesus. No king's palace? No king-sized crib. Not, not even the people of Bethlehem satisfying Jesus' basic needs. Their Savior God. Nothing. Not, not even a comfort nor a need fulfilled. People don't care. I, I think the angels would be right to be angry. In fact, you and I, we're a little bit angry too, aren't we? How dare those people of Bethlehem treat our, our Savior God, our life, our hope, our love in such a way? You, know, you see, the second verse begins to point out this humbling truth about the people in Bethlehem, which, which is actually just, just kind of a picture of, of the human condition, which is so cold and so lost. You, you see, away in a manger, verse 2, picks up on the scandal of Christ's extreme humiliation. This is such an offense to the world. That's why they didn't care. God? We need him? Huh. And in, in such a humble way? No, thank you. Well, if you're catching on a little bit to what that verse writer is aiming at, that there wasn't anything there but just a bunch of beasts of burden, and there wasn't even a crib. Then, then I think we're on to, again, the great length that Jesus would transverse for our sake, for our hope, for our salvation. Uh, I'm thinking about Martin Luther. If, if he actually was the author of this hymn, here are thoughts that he had about that time of Christ's incarnation when he was in Bethlehem. And maybe some thoughts that we have too in thinking about how cold it was for the Lord. Uh, Luther says this, there are some of us who think to ourselves, if I had been there, how quick I would have been to help the baby. I would have washed his linen, or we might say today, I would have changed his diaper. I would have done whatever. And how happy I would have been to go with the shepherds to see the Lord lying in the manger. And yes, we would. We say that because we know how great Christ is. But if we had been there at that time, we would have done no better than the people of Bethlehem. For why don't we do it now? Is not Christ in our neighbor? Luther was picking up on this truth. This is the universal condition of the human heart. It always puts self first. And then maybe God and maybe others if it's convenient for us. But as long as self is God, 
And so when God comes, we don't even need it. That mentality of Bethlehem is a universal problem that we even struggle with today. And Luther was thinking about how that is evident whenever we treat anyone else poorly. We put ourselves over them. He was thinking about Matthew 25. When the Lord comes again, when he finally does away with this old order of things and this selfishness and all the pain that comes out of it, he will bring about judgment. And and those who long for his appearing Yes, rescued by grace. But for those who rejected, kept with the hearts of the people from Bethlehem, this is what Jesus will say in their condemning judgment. He says, look, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. Is that not the Christmas story? And they'll answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison prison, and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. It's kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? Especially this time of year when, well, there are so many people yet in need, even in our community, even in our own church family, when we have other important things to do, then maybe satisfy them in those needs. It's like we're the people of Bethlehem. We just have no time for Jesus. But what I love about this verse, even though it can communicate such a sobering thought, that's not how the verse plays out. The verse picks up on not on the angels' righteous indignation or ours for the people of the past, but talks about Jesus talks about how, well, no crying he makes. Now, at face value, and this is why it's a beautiful children's song, we, we could think about, oh, baby Jesus, uh, he wasn't a colicky baby. He didn't have problems with his digestive tract or whatever. He was a simple, gentle baby. Could be. But I have to think that that hymn writer was picking up on something, how Jesus, when he came and was so offended, He did not retaliate in judgment. Nobody just took it. He took all the oppression, all the rejection that maybe you and I even experience in this life. He didn't say anything about it, but he just set his sights on the cross to do away with it in grace. And his resurrection proved it's been done away with. I think about Isaiah and a little bit of what we use for our time of sin and grace, Isaiah prophesied about the silence of the Christ. He said, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, and who can recount his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was stricken for the transgression of my people, And he didn't say a word because of love. That all began at the cradle, which was a manger. How beautiful is our Savior. He just takes it. He takes our worst. He takes the neglect. And he makes it all 
part of the plan of salvation at the cross. He endures it all and he gives life in return. And doesn't that inspire us? After singing a verse like that, so striking and yet so comforting, the baby Jesus, no crying he makes, it changes us. It causes us to see each other differently. It causes us to see Christ in you and in everyone in need and to give up all else to satisfy that child in Bethlehem, to give what he needs in the faces of those who cry out. I have to think that that's what the hymn writer was inspired to think on, which is why he concludes the verse this way. He says, so I love you, Lord Jesus. You're so good to me. So would you look down from the sky and in the sense, don't, don't be like me, but would you stay by my cradle till morning is nigh? Will you keep minding my needs and change me so that I might be mindful of others? And yet the prayer goes on. In verse 3, in this last verse, the author writes, So be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask you to stay close by me forever and just love me, I pray. And bless all the dear children in your tender care and take us to heaven to live with you there. Take us away to the heavenly realm where this all started. I think about what a beautiful verse for us to keep in mind, especially these days. Are, are you pretty, pretty busy lately? <laughs> it's just going to get worse. Good luck. Oh, there's so much to do, right? Uh, how many of you have some lists that you're keeping? Anybody, you're writing stuff down? Probably more than at other times of the year. Uh, I, I was reminded of this too. Even, even children these days are keeping lists. Uh, being the family pastor, working a lot with our school, I have the privilege of uh, connecting with kids, and I just talked to a little girl just uh, on Friday, and I was catching up, like, how's the season going for you? Uh, do you have all your Christmas gifts in mind? Have you made a list? And she's like, yes, I have. I'm like, just curious, how many, uh, how many presents are on your list? And she's like, 23, 23. And I was like, oh, man, that's great. Good for you. And then I asked, like, uh, you, you think you're going to get all 23s? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my parents love me. <laughs> Just like, okay. Well, I don't know if that's always a sign of love, but okay. And I was thinking, good luck, parents, 23. But it reminded me that this is the time of year where we're a little more comfortable, too, in expressing needs and wants. And we, uh, children and adults alike, we, we have our lists. And it's not just gifts that we want, but gifts to give. And it's preparations for the work party and for the family get-together. And it's the end of the year appointments. And it's the schedule that just keeps filling up with <laughs> children's pageants and all sorts of things. I, I think all those lists and all our deep concerns that are heavy on our hearts this time of year doesn't it point to this truth that, that we truly are a people in need and so are our loved ones and friends and we have wants and what do we do we, we try this time of year in all our busyness we try to satisfy some of those needs and wants why because we love other people and, and we want to be loved too and, and we want this life to be just a little bit better than it's been and so we, we, we try our best and we try to satisfy but but do you find this to be the case, too, that as much as I hope that little girl gets all 23 gifts, I don't know if she will. And that might bring some disappointment. And we might find the same disappointment after 
Christmas? Isn't it true, even though we know needs and wants and we have them and we want to supply them, we can't. For all our trying, you cannot satisfy the deepest longings and needs and wants that others have that you have yourself. And that's why I love this last verse because it picks up on our universal needs that are fulfilled in Christ. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask you to stay. Close by me forever and love me. That's all I need, Jesus. And isn't it true? That is truly all we need, which is why Christmas is so amazing. God supplies our needs. And by the way, after that, everything else will be added unto us too. But it starts with Christ. And it starts with his coming to be our righteousness. That's a fancy church word for just enoughness. Christ comes to be our enoughness. So in him, you truly don't need anything else. And that, that overflows into bearing all your burdens, all your concerns. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Isn't that true? Because he goes to the cross. And on the cross, he pays completely, in full, our indebtedness, unconditionally. You can't mess it up. And then Jesus rises triumphant from the grave. I think that's the worst of our fears. That's our greatest need. We don't want to die. We want to live. And that's God's design. He wants us to live too. And Christ rising triumphant, that shows that we'll rise triumphant too eternally. What more do we need? That's what he prays for. Not just for himself, but all those dear children that will come up or make a list of 23 presents or that they'll see the greatest thing they need is Jesus. And that one day he's going to take us out of this realm into that realm and everything will be as it should. No more needs or wants. Our God is good. I wonder if it was First John passage there, 3 verse 1, that inspired this last verse in prayer. Oh, see what great is the love, how great the love of the Father is that he's lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Now notice this, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The reason why this world is still so broken, still so longing, still in want and need, it didn't recognize him at Bethlehem, it doesn't recognize him today, and, and that's why our celebrations too are not so welcome. The world doesn't get what we're about. So pray for them. Even as we pray, Lord, be with me and be with your children, Lord. Don't give up on this world yet. Keep coming to us in your grace because we know that you are everything we need and everything the world needs. Friends, that's it's a way in a manger. It's a beautiful hymn. My encouragement then is put it in your playlist if it isn't already. Or if it is, think of it anew. Think about how deep and profound these words are and how blessed we are to know it. And then keep coming back to those hymns. In fact, this Wednesday, 6.30, we'll take a look at a new one. And the next couple Sundays and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and get the word out to the world which needs to know what you and I celebrate. What we celebrate Away in a manger. Amen. Would you please stand for prayer?
for the prayer of the church. We'll give thanks to the Lord God that he has so blessed us. And in that blessing, we'll ask for um, more of the needs and wants that we, we sense at this time, especially for those who suffer in their health and whatever else. Uh, following that prayer, I'd ask that you would join with me in the Lord's Prayer. We'll pray. Heavenly Father, you who have gifted us with the greatest gift of all in the season, Jesus Christ, our Savior in flesh and blood, fill our hearts with joy as we prepare to celebrate once again the incarnation of our Lord at his first coming and wait then in eager expectation for his revealing at his second. Help us to cast out then in preparation all sin and in repentance appreciate and live for the beautiful music of the gospel of our salvation. May it always change our lives so that we live more for you and for others and far less for ourselves. 